Welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Descent into Darkness, Season 2, Episode 21. I am Travis, and I will be your keeper today. Before we get into it, let's have our investigators maybe give us a snapshot of their bedtime routine, because it's the end of another long day, and we'll start with you, Brandon. So I'm playing uh, Wallace Andrews, MD, and my bedtime routine would generally be to read whatever particular books I'm reading at the moment, which in this case happens to be the book of Abra Mellon, and uh, I would do that just a little bit longer than I should to get enough sleep and then, you know, stumble to bed and fall asleep. I'm Justin, I'm playing Lance Monroe, and under normal circumstances he'd do his uh, journal and then read for a little bit in whatever arcane tome he happens to be looking at. Well, tonight, I think after uh, having his ribs broken, he will uh, skip the reading part and go to bed a little bit early. Maybe have a, a glass of gin beforehand. John playing James Whitmire. Uh, usually, his bedtime routine is, is pretty straightforward. Make sure all the doors and windows are locked up tight, as uh, all valuables are put away, and then uh, wake up every few hours thinking somebody's in the room with him and uh, cover all shiny objects for so that that uh, god can't pop in and get him. <laughs> okay, so last the last scene we left off with was the Dark Hunter departing into its portal. This was a Dark Hunter summoned by none other than Johann Mueller, and he had given it a command to maim or kill quite a few people so we will go directly into that beginning with Mr. Monroe so let's expand your house a little bit so I know we have it's an apartment above your museum there's a separate entrance like a stair leading up to a higher floor is that fit with what we've established so far yeah have you have you ever watched the Johnny Depp Sweeney Todd uh no no but yeah there there was like the the shop down below and then on the side of the building there was a, a staircase that went up to uh, where he had his shop and I figured it was the same kind of thing just with my home being on the second floor. Got you. And does your does it connect down to the museum at any other point within your home? No. Okay, well we will give it a rear entrance though just for emergency exits if that ever comes up. I don't know why it would come up but it could come up. <laughs> a fire so let's... escape of sorts. <laughs> right. Let's begin then with a luck roll, Mr. Monroe. All right. John, you sucked all the luck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, on the luck. Hey, but I failed mine, though. Yeah, when you needed. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to work when I want it to, though. <laughs> okay, so you've been fighting the symptoms of you know, a broken rib, and as you know from injuries... 
in those first hours and days after the injury occurs are usually when the pain gets the worst. So you've been drinking quite a bit and you've fallen asleep and it's putting you into a deep sleep. So I will need a hard listen roll next. Yeah, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> Jeez. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, close. 78 away. <laughs> Just use luck or push it. Yeah. I don't have enough luck. I don't think I've ever had that much luck. Well, you definitely could push it, but I would not advise. Yeah, I wouldn't that. either. <laughs> my last push got my ribs broken. Now one will end up in one of your lungs. It's all right. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, you are actually sleeping quite good, and you get this feeling of weightlessness all of a sudden that rouses you from your slightly drunken stupor, and it takes you a minute to realize what's going on. I mean, you see, of course, you're in your bedroom or maybe on your sofa, wherever you passed out. Which do you prefer? Do you take yourself to bed? Yeah, I would have taken myself to bed. And um, you see that the room is lit by whatever lights you keep burning normally, but also there's like a blue flickering. And as you cast your eyes around, you see the open portal that you had seen forming in the Corbett house just a few hours earlier. And that feeling of weightlessness you have is because you are currently cradled in the arms of a dark hunter. Please give me a sanity roll. (laughs) All right, so no sanity loss there. You had... Listened to Whitmire and Dr. Andrews describe this creature, and it's exactly as they described it, this half crustacean, half insectoid-like, half ape creature that stands tall, seven or eight feet perhaps, but it's just wordlessly holding you there and regarding you. It has you grasped pretty tightly in one of its limbs, and the other one is just sort of slowly moving towards your face. So I'll give you an action here. What would you like to do? The only action I can really think of is using the uh, father's imposed suggestion Okay. to try and stop it. Now, you do know from your recent use of that that it does take a little bit more time than when you first had it. Oh. It, it goes beyond one round, so it might not be your best option. If it had been how it worked when it was when you were down in Peru, perhaps it could have worked for you in this case, but you know, maybe you don't have that much time. Okay. Um I guess I'm just going to try and squirm my way out of his grasp and, you know, yell, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to need a uh, fighting brawl roll. This creature has quite a bit of size on you, though, and the way that that impacts what you're going to do is it's going to give you penalty die, one for each difference in size, and I believe your build is a zero. Is that correct? Um, build, where is build? It should be in your combat tab. Yes, build is a zero. So you need to make a fighting brawl roll with two penalty die. Um, I already failed. Does that matter? Well, it, you could potentially luck out of it, so you have to fail worse. I'm sorry, if you roll from your combat tab, it won't let you do bonus penalty. It's broken for some oh. reason. I'm So uh, you can go to your skill sheet and just roll it two more times and take the worst. So... The, Looks like our worst is actually 30. It won't be 37. You just take the 10 spot. So uh, you rolled a 30 versus a 25. What would you like to do? Spend some luck? Yeah, I guess I'll spend five luck and, and hopefully it'll be enough for me to get out of his grasp. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you give it a valiant effort, even though it pains you and 
your ribs, you know, your broken rib or ribs. But there was something about the way you dress when you go to bed. That's This is the lucky part where you wear like a satin or a silk sleeper that allowed you to wriggle out of this thing's grasp. And you thud onto your bed. Now, you cast around your room, and you can see you can go through the kitchen to the door down that stairwell, or you could uh, maybe go further into the house to that rear exit. What do you want to do from that point? Um, is either way obstructed in any way by the creature or force me to go past it in order to get to him? No, both ways are clear. Um, then I guess I'll head towards the, the front door because that, that would probably be my first instinct. Okay. So give me a constitution roll. <laughs> I'm just setting up our starting speed of uh, failure for the purposes sure. of this thing pursuing you uh, means that you you remove one from your movement speed. I think we had said you were halved, right? Yep. Due to the major wound, which brought you down to four. So your current move would be three. Uh and this thing's coming behind you. So let me set this up. You're able to make it out of your house and down the, this stairwell, which is a bit rickety. It's no problem for you. And you're out on the, the edge of the street before we begin. And you're casting about there. You can see that you could go either way down the walk. You could cross the street. Um, but it's it's not too busy right now. Although you can see there's a tram coming down the middle of the way. Uh, but you hear the the footfalls of this giant creature in your house and it comes out the front door and it tries to negotiate these stairs. It's has quite a bit of weight on you. So if it fails a dex roll, it will be slowed down by these stairs, which it does. So it crashes through one of the, the wooden boards that make up a step and its leg goes through and it, it spends a moment there trying to pry itself out of that. Okay. I'm going to try and hobble my way across to the other side of the tram rails. And is this like one of those San Francisco trolleys where I might be able to grab onto it and jump on as it's passing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, in ordinary circumstances, that would be possible without a roll for you, but given your injury and your panic state, you could flub it. So go ahead and give me a dex if you want to grab a hold, hold of it. Oh, dude, you just... All right. Holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> I was not expecting to succeed that. Okay. So there you are in your silk, you know, pajamas, and you uh, get up on this this trolley. You feel like a huge twinge in your chest as that rib pokes something or tears something maybe. But you're in there with just the one or two other passengers that are on the tram at the moment, and they don't give you any regard at all. But you can see that Dark Hunter has freed itself from its step, and it comes out to the street but it's not fast enough to keep up with this tram as it makes, you know, it, it picks up some speed. It starts going down a little bit of a hill and it just pauses and regards it for a little while. And you see a portal open next to it as this blue light from the interdimensional space beyond flashes in the street and it steps into it. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and position myself in a way that I can jump off of the train if I have to. Okay. So yeah, the uh, train levels out, it gets to the bottom of this hill, and it starts going at a you know a more reasonable 10 to 15 miles an hour, and you smell the wood smoke, but with a hint of rot or something behind it, uh, fill the tram car, and you, let's see, what else can we do? Yeah, we'll say that's all you smell, but you remember smelling that in the Corbett house not too long ago. Yeah. 
Can I start preparing to cast Father's Imposed Suggestion when I smell that? Yeah, are you um, targeting one of the people on the car or uh, attempting to target the Dark Hunter that appears out of a portal? Attempting to target the Dark Hunter. Well, that one I'm going to say maybe not because part of what's taking it a while is you have to sort of finesse your target over the course of those rounds. So you could definitely do that if you wanted to uh, target one of the people riding the tram. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there, are, do either of the other two people look um, as if they're good fighters or strong in any way? Uh, you uh, Well, give me a luck roll. You're just making me push this over and over again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll say there's a big, burly, like, longshoreman. He looks to be a little bit drunk, but, you know, he's sort of softly mumbling to himself. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll try and use father's imposed suggestion on him. Okay. So, yeah, you're able to, uh, to uh, finish. One other question. Um, yeah. Did the four magic points that I had lost earlier... Uh, re- did I recover those during my evening? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When did you lose them precisely? Do you remember? Was it from your dream the night before? Um, I believe so. Yeah. So there, you should be at full MP. Yeah. I don't. I can't remember anything else that happened during the day. Okay. So yeah, you're. Uh, so the way you set up the spells, you actually do have to be talking, you know, to them. So you kind of would hobble your way next to him and start saying something, and he. Uh, Seems to be a, a pretty cheerful drunk, and he's listening to what you're saying. So what suggestion are you going to give him? To protect me. Okay. So you would need to pass a regular power roll. Okay. All right. Congratulations with a hard success. Okay, so yeah, he's like, you, know, <laughs> you don't have to worry about nothing. I can tell you're a good guy, and I'm going to watch your back. So he's like going on about that. And, um and you see that portal begin to form as just a bead right in the middle of this moving train car. And it takes, you know, about a round in game terms before it's big enough for the Dark Hunter to step out of. And uh, this drunk doesn't see the creature yet, but you hear some some shocked gasps and one scream from the other passengers. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and give you an action as it um, steps I'll, out. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell the guy to protect me and I will head towards the opposite end of the car okay um, and get ready to exit the trolley okay so you're poised there at the opposite end of the car getting ready to exit and you it commanded the longshoreman to protect you and he stands up and he sort of looks around and sees this thing so he passed his sanity roll didn't lose any sanity and go fleeing into the night and that's (laughs) drunk luck right there (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's like uh, i don't know what your problem is but (laughs) Yeah, he's like, hey, listen, we don't want any problems here. We're just trying to get home, he says to the eight-foot-tall, half-crustacean, <laughs> half-ape, half-insectoid-like thing. And he uh, puts his mitts up and advances towards it. Now, the dark hunter sees that he has to get past this man to get to you, and he goes to try to pick him up and throw him out of the way. Goodness. <laughs> and uh, in this case, you're... Your guardian tried to swing on him, um, and so the success goes to him, actually. So, yeah, he uh, connects with this Dark Hunter's chin. He kind of does like a you know, a little hop on the uppercut he throws up at him. But you can see that the thing's head just sort of tilts to one side with the force of the blow, but then slowly turns back to regard the man. 
It seemed to not do any long-lasting damage. What did you want to do, Mr. Monroe? So I'm, I'm guessing this tra this trolley is something that I've used before. Do I know where it, it goes? Is there... Um, I, I kind of want to keep an eye out for any like police officers on the corner or anything like that. Yeah, give me a spot hidden. See, these are the times where my skills are just not quite up to... Oh, yes, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spend the luck. So four more luck to have that success. Yeah, so you know this tram is running south, uh, kind of towards where the Boston Commons is, although you're a few blocks distance from it yet, and you do spot the distinctive policeman's outfit walking down the street, and the other passengers that were on this tram at this time are bailing off where they can, sort of shouting different things. But yeah, you spot that policeman there, but you're still on the tram. You can still do something if you'd like. No, I'm going to try and jump off to get to the policeman. Okay. Uh, let's do the dex roll again. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad failure. Okay, so um, you're still able to get off. Oh, wait. So it works a little different this way. Like, I'm, I'm not... You don't take any wounds unless you decide to push it. So you're either just going to be stuck on here or you're going to push it and maybe stumble and do a little damage to yourself. I'm going to have to push it. Okay. Always push. <laughs> yeah, that was a lucky one. Okay, so you leap off this trolley. You see that policeman is uh, across the road uh, walking in front of some storefronts. He hasn't, he's kind of looking at the other people that are running from the tram, wondering what they're shouting about at this moment. But let's see yeah, what you. I'll ahead. be running towards him and calling out to him as I jump off. Okay. All right. So even from, you know, you're maybe 15 feet away from this tram by now, you hear like a sickening crunch and a, a splatter like paint. Uh, hitting the still floor of that tram and a, a grunt of pain and a body hitting uh, the same floor. And then this thing attempts to jump out of the tram in pursuit of you. Yes. But it stumbles there in the road, gets back to its feet, and is uh, just right behind you. All it has to do is, is you know, go maybe 20 feet uh, to get to you. So now back to you. You're calling to this policeman... Let's see. So he sees this dark hunter behind you. We'll try a power roll for him. Me do a power roll? No. Uh, we'll see how your police officer does. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, what in the blue blazes is that? But he holds it together and goes for his service pistol as you're running up, crying out frantically. But you have an action. Um, yeah. Well, let me just... Uh, so, so you have... There's a... Uh, you're about... 15 feet from the front of a diner where you can see it's like an all-night diner. You can see uh, maybe three people in there drinking coffee or eating some small morsel. Uh, you, there's an alley next to that that you could go into, or you could just ten, continue on down the sidewalk if you want to keep running. Do I see any vehicles that I might be able to jump into? Yeah, there's many parked vehicles along the side of the road. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll go past the officer if I can. And like be checking doors to see if there are any open ones. Okay. Well, given the amount of vehicles there are, I'm going to say it's a foregone conclusion that you'll find one that is unlocked. But let's see. Do they have keys? Didn't we research this not too long ago? Or were yeah, they all gonna... just like crank started? I thought they had keys back then. Okay. So what, let's do yet another luck roll for the car that you pick to determine if you'll be able to get it going. Because if I remember right, the... If, Close. Yeah. 
Okay, so the initial one you pick, you run down a ways, you find one that's unlocked, but you realize that you're not going to be able to crank it without the uh, key in it. Because I think, if I remember my research correctly, it was kind of like the key fobs we have nowadays where your car won't start unless it detects the key fob only. It was the physical key. You put it in and then you could operate the crank. So uh, that's where we'll say you're at at the end of your turn. So you're like, how do you respond to that frustration of finding a car and not being able to start it? Um, I'm, I'm just in kind of a desperate panic to get away right now. So okay. I'm hoping that the police officer firing at it will distract it long enough to keep it off my back. Well, yeah, let's see how the police officer does. He's not fully panicked, but he is in a bit of one. So we're going to fire three shots, but he's in point-blank range with that thing, so there'll be no penalty. Looks like he got an extreme success on one of them. Are we supposed to be able to see these? Oh, sorry, I did it not. I had it on a whisper. So he rolled a 6, 76, and a 66. So one of his shots was an extreme success. All right. So he... um. He rolled six, and he also adds it to the max possible damage, which is 12. So he does 18, this Dark Hunter. But as you know, it has these thick plates, almost metal-like plates of armor. But this uh, black blood or fluid squirts out onto the police officer when he fires that shot into him. So he did injure him in some way. And in response, the Dark Hunter attempts to kill the man. And of course he does. So yeah, he just takes, you know, he gets shot, and as I've described, these dark hunters have sort of like a set of pincers that almost hang down, uh, you know, to their ankles, and he reaches it forward and just neatly clips the man's head off, and it goes rolling across the street. So you kind of see that out of your, you know, while you're looking around trying to see what's going to happen, and he advances towards you, closing the distance again. What are you going to do, Mr. Monroe? So you're in this Uh, car. You couldn't get it to start. So... This is kind of where I want to use my Mr. Merriweather's, you know, luck thingy. Okay. Um, Your lifeline? Yeah. Did you want to... Um, now, ordinarily, it, you can't use it to alter the luck roll, if I'm mistake, not mistaken. Find where that's at. No, but either... Yeah, I'll either need Finn McCracken to show up or have some sort of knowledge about the Dark Hunter that may give me a chance against it. Hmm. Well, I say, I'll say there's no new knowledge that's going to help you. What you'll need is somebody <laughs> with a powerful weapon and uh, the ability to use it to help you think. So maybe Finn McCracken might be the best opportunity for you. Yeah. Either that or, you know, someone just run it over with a truck. But Yeah, we could go that, that way if you, if you want. Yeah, that would, that would work. Okay. Um, like if, if the trolley, like if the conductor jumped off the trolley and, you know, we had somehow gotten ahead of it and it hit hit him as it was coming towards me or something like that. Yeah. Well, we'll go with this truck idea. Um, so it's uh, clipped that police officer's head off and it walks into the road trying to advance towards where you are in the car. And uh, you can see a set of headlamps on a, a bigger truck coming behind it. And you hear the horn start blaring that it needs to get out of the road but it's like too late it it seemed like the driver picked up that this huge thing was in the street it was walking through a shadowy area so it didn't become visible until it was right within the headlamps and he starts blaring on the horn but he can't swerve in time you know they don't have the steering it's a heavier vehicle and it slams into this dark hunter 
and you see the form of the extra-dimensional entity go underneath the grill of the truck, and it gets wrapped up in one of the tires, and then under the, the second one, and this truck driver reaches to a halt, and he gets out, and he's like, what in God's name was that? But you see the portal form next to it, a new bee grow, and it grows into that full size, but this is as it, as Dr. Andrews and Whitmire had described, it starts to have a gravity effect where it's sucking things into it. So at first, it's, it's pulling in smaller items. What would you like to do, Monroe? I will try and crawl out the side of the car that's opposite from the the uh, event horizon. Right. And, <laughs> and try and make my way into a building nearby. If that uh, restaurant is still there, then try and go in there and, and push my way towards the back of the restaurant. Okay. Yeah, so you uh, walk in, you get some odd looks because you're out in your pajamas, and you, you are greeted by the, the cook slash proprietor who's behind there working at a grill, and he asks what he can what he can get for you. You can see that there's a door beyond that into, you know, maybe a storeroom or something that goes deeper into the building. Did you just want to hang out here in the eatery part or press forward? I'll tell him that a police officer was just killed. We need to call the police station and okay. kind of push my way towards the back. What are you talking about? I don't got a phone in here. You got to go down. And he mentions, you know, some corner store that's a block distant or something like that. But his voice fades as you push into the back and he's, you hear him. The last thing he says is he's like, hey, you can't go back there. But you hear this horrible rending of metal uh, as that truck is pulled into an opening much smaller than it. And then you hear a scream from a man and then that's clipped off too. And then all is silent. And by that time, you can push through the storeroom out another door into that alley I was talking about. Okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try and uh, gather my senses and, I don't know, head... Uh, well, for now, I'll just keep fleeing. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you flee for a little bit, and eventually, you know, the adrenaline stops uh, forcing through you. You don't hear any sounds of pursuit. You do hear the sounds of police sirens pick up after a few minutes, but then even that too fades, and eventually you realize you can't really run any further or move any further for that matter, so you sit down on a bench to catch your breath. What is your plan from that point? Um, head to wherever Dr. Andrews is. Okay. So, Dr. Andrews, did you have some idea about the apartments you were staying in? Uh, no, I just... Figured it was a simple, you know, room with maybe a washroom, bathroom, whatever they called it. Was this a hotel or something that maybe you owned? Yeah. Okay. No, a hotel. Yeah, a hotel. All right. Um, well, so, you know he was staying in that place you had recommended to Mueller. It was called the North End Inn. Uh, and that's not too distant. It's some few blocks from here, Monroe. Okay. It would be a struggle to make it on foot in your current condition. I will say, no, nah, I will say you make it. So yeah, it's just by the time you get there, you're, you're flagging. It feels like, you know, you have that taste of blood in your mouth. It feels like maybe you might've done yourself further injury. You're not sure. You keep checking for blood because that's what it feels like, but you don't see it. But eventually you, you come into that, the North End Inn and uh, you think he was in room six. You're pretty sure that's what he said. And you go to that and you knock on the door. So, uh, Dr. Andrews, you're kind of nodding off as you do when you're reading. And 
your head kind of snaps up when you hear a knock at your door. And what time is it? Uh, you would put it at just past midnight. Okay. Um, yeah, so then I'll stand up and stumble over to the door, um, and I'll open it. Darkness. <laughs> Nothing more. <laughs> so uh, what do you look like, Mr. Monroe? Um, yeah, well, I, I think we decided that I have a satin bedclothes, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm standing there just in my pajamas, probably arm like wrapped around my my chest, leaning over, breathing heavily, uh, with probably a wild, crazy look in my eyes. Yeah, he's uh, you can see the dark spots, you know, at the neckline and underneath the armpits, like he's been sweating profusely. Uh, but there you guys are. Good God, Monroe, what's happened to you? Come in quickly, and I'll just like pull him in and close the door. Oh, we're in we're in great danger. I had to make sure you were okay. Yes, one of those I'm... one of those hunter things, the 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 things that you fought before. It came for me in my home. Oh my goodness! Come to the bed. I'll get him like over to the bed so I can lay him down and take a look at him. Okay. See if he's what injuries he's dealing with here. But first, I'll lock my door. All right. Um, so, so you go ahead. So I'll start laying out everything that happened um, from the thing showing up in my house to it uh, murdering the, the guy on the trolley to ripping the head off the police officer and, you know, my, my good fortune that it uh, that a truck ran it over. Are you sure it was still chasing you? Um, I, I, I don't know if it, if it survived the truck. There was uh, a portal and then everything got sucked in and then there was... Yeah, I, I didn't stay around to watch to make sure it was dead. Okay, but, well, let's take a look at you and make sure you don't need to be uh, hospitalized. Yeah, he looks good. Um, you can go ahead and throw your medicine roll out there. I suppose we should do that part first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he looks good uh, by the state he is in. You expected he had probably done himself further injury, but he's held together. Your wrapping's done the trick. And maybe he had that looseness of being a little bit drunk, you know, so he didn't hurt himself too much. But he is exhausted, and you recommend a good night's sleep, that's for sure. Yeah, so where did the Dark Hunter come from? Like, how did he find you? I, I don't know. I There was a hole in my bedroom, and I woke up, and it was picking me up and reaching for my face. Mm. So somebody must be... What, didn't they have to be summoned, like through a ritual? Yes, yes. So who who would be performing these rituals? Well, either we uh, have angered the consortium with uh, our rescue of the lawyer, or someone else has joined the game. I saw one yesterday as well. Uh, when we went to return Corbett's journals to the house, one appeared in the house, although it didn't follow us. Yeah, that's right. That's what... Uh... That's what had happened with the two men that got out of the car, like going backwards or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you look like you're going to be fine, but you definitely need some rest. So um, get some sleep and I will keep watch. And then in the morning, we'll have to see if we can figure out what other people are saying about last night's events. Do you have weapons here? Yeah, I do. So I would have my my rifle and my 
machete and that shotgun that I bought now would all be here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you have something I can arm myself with? Yeah. Do you want the shotgun? Um, or the rifle? Whichever you think I I could fire in my condition without injuring myself further. Yeah, probably better be the shotgun then. Okay, so the plan then is for Monroe to go to sleep while you keep watch, Dr. Andrews? Yeah, so I'll make sure the door's locked up good, and then I'll sit in the chair and have my rifle on my lap in case somebody breaks in. Okay, so Whitmire, you, when we last off left time, or when we last left off, you had said you were going back to your hotel room to turn in for the night. Uh, do you do any book reading or anything like that? How's your bedtime go? Um, no, I usually don't. I'll, uh, I will uh, stay up a little bit in the dark, just uh, you know, listening for, for anything until it eventually puts me to sleep. Yeah, you, and some of the thoughts that were entering your head was a conversation you had with Professor Mueller about when you had asked him about the dreamlands or this area he described as the dreamlands when you said you had met Nasht in Common Thaw and then traveled through a dark, woody terrain. And he had said, you know, well, now that you've been there, you should just be able to will yourself there. So if you look at your additional skills, you should have a couple of new skills, one called dreaming and one called dream lore. Yes. If you'd like to attempt to do as Professor Mueller suggested, uh, you would need a successful dreaming roll. Otherwise, you can just go to sleep. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Go for it. Oh. Hard <laughs> success. <laughs> Maybe wow. Justin was right. <laughs> All right. So with you drift off to sleep, and with that hard success, you know, while you're contemplating, you know, somebody can say, well, you just and will yourself there or you just focus on being back there but you know what does that actually mean what are the practical steps that one takes and before you know it you find yourself waking you know slumped in the hollow between two roots extending from this great gnarled tree and you're back in this dark forest that you remember from the previous night although you don't know where you are in the dark forest but there you are Okay, that was what I was going to ask. Is like, am I on the edge of it again, uh, overlooking that town, or no? But it seems quite. like I'm surrounded by the forest completely again. Though. Yeah, yeah. All right. So first thing I'll do is check my pockets, see if I have either food, water, or um, that knife. So yeah, you have all those items that were given to you by the two priests. So that was the food and the water, the knife. Uh, you're wearing the clothes as you had imagined them, which I forget quite what they were. What did you imagine? As I believe that it was just a, a really nice suit. Okay. And then you also have that crystalline wool that they claimed was mana and that it was edible, which you had tried on the previous night, and it, it was very tasty, and it seemed to in, to nourish you in a way beyond just simple satiation of hunger. But yeah, you um look around these woods and you find that you're deep in them again, and you can hear the chittering or that odd sound you know belongs to those strange rodent-like creatures, although you don't see any at the moment. Okay. So, remembering what happened last time, I'll, uh, and 
now that I know that I have everything I'm, I'm going to need, I'll start uh, pushing through. Now, do am I on like a trail or is there a trail nearby or am I just pushing through trees? Um, give me a spot hidden roll. Yeah, so you are able to pick out one of these. It's not even quite a game trail. It's just sort of a, a way, like an opening where the trees aren't, you know, grown so close together that it chokes out any attempt to travel forward. But yeah, you do see one of those that, it's tough to get a sense of direction underneath the canopy, but it seems to run in either direction. Okay. Um, can I try like a, would that be like a navigate maybe? Sure. To get a better sense of direction? Yeah, it would because of the, the canopy being totally closed off, it's difficult for you to get a sense of it. So um, we'll put it at a hard navigate. Okay. As would I also be able to use this to uh, try to remember which way, which direction I had traveled last time? Yeah, yeah, you could, you could discern which way would come back to the the steps to deeper slumber, and which way would exit the forest as you did last time. Nope. Okay, so it's just a crapshoot. You got to pick one way or the other. Well, I can say as you step to it, it would be the path goes off to your right, although it twists around or. Uh, you can go off to your left. Well, I think everybody knows that I'll take <laughs> the right way. <laughs> okay. So you uh, travel for a while and the trees begin to become naturally or unnaturally thick. And this fungus that's lighting the area uh, grows thinner. So it gets darker and the trees are like dead or dying. You can look off in the distance and you can see by this fading light, that they're gnarled and they're free of vegetation. Although you get the sense that there's like a, a mountain or, or not, maybe not a mountain, but a cliff face just ahead, although it's very smooth. And there's something you think carved into it, but you can't really pick out what it is from this distance. Okay. I'll uh, continue forward then, making my way through the, the dead trees and underbrush. Okay. Uh, you... As you advance, you realize you're running out of light. Like it, it gets so dim that you can't make up anything. But as I said, this light is coming from fungus that's just growing on the trees or on the ground. So you can rip off like a handful of it and you'd have like enough light, like one of those little glow sticks or something like that. So seeing as how this is a dream, I'm going to try and will light into existence. Oh, okay. Uh, give me your dreaming roll. Nope, that didn't happen. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I'll... Uh, <laughs> what happens if I push it, though? It's scary in a dream. Summon something horrible? Well, <laughs> you think, yeah, you think about all the errant thoughts that enter your head, especially when you're alone in a, a dark forest. If your mind can fabricate stuff into reality, then could your errant thoughts, you know, your deepest fears, fabricate something into reality? Yeah, I'll... I'll uh, try and suppress those thoughts as quickly as possible and just grab some fungus. <laughs> yeah, so when you get to this uh, cliff, the smooth stone cliff with your handful of fungus and you hold it up and you can see these, there's some runes carved into it. And by this point, I don't need a roll. You definitely recognize that strange Aklo language. But when you stand at the base of it, you realize that you're not at a cliff, but you're at a large standing stone. It's so big that it just looked like a natural part of the terrain. You're just at the it, base of one big standing stone. Does it have anything on it? Like, I'll move around it and and uh, 
you know look at it and see if it has anything on it yeah besides the runes it doesn't it doesn't have anything else on it you can kind of think of like the Stonehenge type stones, uh, as you traverse down, we'll say like maybe 40 feet, you come to the end of one and there's, you know, like a six foot gap that you can move inside this stone circle, but then the next stone begins. Can I make out what the runes say? Well, you would have a 1% chance. So you can throw a D100 out there for me. This is where I expect him to get it. (laughs) It's pretty close. close. What's your not, what's not your too far. what's your Cthulhu mythos knowledge or rating? A ten. And <laughs> so I will use that, one luck. <laughs> you may. <laughs> that would do it, right? Yeah. So uh, right. it would succeed at Cthulhu mythos. So you're not able to translate the language, but you realize that the runes you're looking at are very similar in pattern to what was on the golden band in the base of the pyramid, and you knew that those were wards inscribed by people to keep father inside of the pyramid. So whatever these stones are doing, they're inscribed with the same sort of protective warding. All right. I'll uh, quickly pull my hand away from it and uh, <laughs> start you know, stumbling backwards and uh, just push myself back into that forest then. And go the, the opposite way? Yeah, like quickly, as quickly as I can navigate it. Yeah, you know, it's playing in your coming out of your subconscious is the idea, the size of these stones, and if they are warding, if they're protecting something that's on the inside, what could it be? But the stones fade behind you, and the thoughts fade behind you, and um, every now and then you hear a little skitter up in the branches, but none of those strange creatures make an appearance. And as you travel in the opposite direction, you do come to the edge of the wood, as you did last time. And you Sorry, is ahead. it that village again? Yeah, you see it. It's like you're in a different position, you know, relative to the village. So you would be like, when you get out and you can see the sky and everything, if this place has the cardinal directions that in the same orientation as where you come from, then you would think it's off in the south, southwest, though, now, this time. But as you scan around behind you, you see there's a, uh, a piece of parchment paper that's been pounded into the tree. With a nail. Okay. As, uh, I'll, I'll go and examine that. So yeah, it's old and faded, and uh, here's what it looks like. So the note's pretty simple. It just reads, I know you are probably confused, Nicholas. Try not to be. You are in the enchanted wood. Go straight ahead from the gate. Do not turn left nor right, and do not listen to the chirps and whispers you will hear. Soon you will be in the open lands of the dream. You'll soon find a road or a cottage and be able to ask for directions to the town of Ulthar, where I await you. And it's simply signed, A Friend of a Friend. Okay. As I will... So, looking back at the village, do I see a gate? Not around the village. What what you see here is, like, spread out farms and cottages, but it's not cl- enclosed in a wall or a gate or anything like that. Okay. As I'll I'll peer back into the uh, into the enchanted woods, then. Okay. Uh, yeah, you can see the trail that um, that you exited. Although you do notice something now at the base of the tree, uh, a discarded bag that has a blade, and you can barely make it out. It's bread that's pretty much gone to dust, right? You know, like when you open the bag and your hand touches the loaf, 
which is this, this grayish bread shape. It just kind of crumbles almost instantly, and then that knife is uh, is rusted. Okay. Does it have the same glyphs on it that mine did? Right. You know, so maybe somebody had carried this, possibly the note to this point, and uh, left it here for whatever reason. Okay. So, hmm. well, I know there's no gate in the back the way that I came. Uh, something that does register in your memory is that when you came down the steps to deeper slumber, you did exit into the, on your first visit here, you exited a gate into the enchanted wood. Ah, uh, okay. So, hmm. well, maybe this is Ulthar. So I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll turn around and start heading towards the village. Okay. So yeah, you start making your way across this field. Uh, there is something, you know, some large shape that's diffused in the in the distance south of this village. And it takes a moment for you to realize that what you're looking at is one enormous peak. It's bigger than anything you've seen on Earth uh, in photograph or in real life. It, it's so enormous and so so singular, one singular peak that it didn't register as you know, like one giant mountain at first. But around its uh, foothills is a blue river. And we'll pause with you there as you're walking across the field and get a power f- power roll from Mr. Monroe. From Okay, boom. Oh. <laughs> All right, Mr. Monroe, you wake in a flat stretch of land before a windmill with a mound beyond that. What do you do? Um, so do my ribs still feel broken? Uh, at first you have that twinge of pain, uh, but when you go to, you know, run your hands over your body, you don't really feel any pain. It was almost, okay. it was a psychosomatic at first. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll start pushing my way into the, uh, into the cavern again. All right. Roll a D6 for me. Okay. So when you go into this burial mound, uh, as you've become accustomed to, there, there's somebody in there just sort of standing there looking at one of the walls as though the most interesting thing in the world is happening there. And in this particular case, the person standing there is a very large Italian man. Oh, I was hoping it was Lamar, but the cannibal, cannibal will work too. But yeah, they seem to be in that kind of fugue state where they're not uh, totally aware. You know, in the past, they didn't really come out of it until you drew attention to yourself or you called to them. Hmm. I'm going to try and slip past him. <laughs> uh, wise choice. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, um, what do you want me to roll? Uh, no, it's you don't even have to, to roll anything. He's, uh, okay. he's taken over. As long over. as I don't disturb him, then he's, right, yeah. he, he's occupied. Okay. He's just sort of slightly swaying there. Um, you know, not his eyes are unfocused, but he doesn't seem to react to you as you walk past him and down and deeper into the, the cavern system that you know lies beyond. So, you know, fast forward in a little bit here, you know, you go through the entry hall into that larger hall, the hall of history as you've come to know it, where you see this story of these serpent folk laid out before you and where they were driven underground by early humans. And you come to that place that you we can call the pitch, for lack of a better word, but where all these points come to a vertical descent that goes deeper. And here's where you've begun to run into into trouble. In the past, you've tried to jump down 
in which mm-hmm. you broke your legs and woke up, and then you tried to go another direction in which you ran into some ancestors of humans that uh, beat you and Wayne Nichols to death, or at least <laughs> to death in the dream. Uh, you don't have too many more options to go off from here, but there are a few more ways you can try. All right. Um, yeah, I guess I'll try one of the other passages then. Okay. All right. So this passage has the lichen that lights everything up. And although you don't see those uh, early hominid drawings on the wall, thankfully, although you do hear sort of a soft moaning sound coming as you travel further down it, along with the that repeating pattern, that thrumming, this sort of bass thrumming that's going on all throughout the complex where it goes, you know, like one, two, three, four, and that four is held for an extended amount of time. But once again, you do come to a sudden drop that you would have to navigate if you want to go any further. Okay. As I travel, I'm, I'm going to turn around and head back and try a different path again. And I'm going to try and keep an eye out for anything I might be able to carry with me that I could um, use to help me get down in any way, shape, or form. Um, if there are any vines or anything, you know, those kinds of things. Okay. So let's do a, let's do another power roll on this one. Okay. Okay. So yeah, you backtrack a little bit and uh, you do find some vines or they're kind of like roots that you could you would pull out of the earth that you think might hold you. But the problem is you'd have to, sever them somehow they don't just pull easily free um okay uh i'll check my pockets and you know see if i have anything on me that i could use to to cut it or uh, not having that try and find a sharp rock okay what do you normally carry on you um really not much just okay probably my you know my lighter and you know wallet and a bunch of other stuff all right. Well, we'll say you can find a sharp enough rock. It just takes some muscle and time to sever a few vines. But you think you got a few, or these roots, you think you have a few. If you can twist them together, you might be able to make a rope that would give you one bonus die on a climb roll to get down. Okay. Yeah, I'll take that and head back to that first main pit. Okay. So, yeah, you can, you can with that, and get part of the way down, you know, to your disappointment, it doesn't go the full distance, but it will give you a bonus die on your climb roll. All right, here we go. Bonus die. Oh, no. 46 versus 20. You want to push it? You just get part of the way down and, you you know, you realize you don't quite have the skill. So you clamber up to the top. So without pushing it, you know, you're not risking any fall or anything like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll climb down to the bottom and try and do a jump again. Okay. This is why I have so few skill ups. <laughs> All right, go for it. All right. Uh, well, as it is a pushed roll, we can no longer use ruck, luck, but you did, you know, you were partially down, so you don't take as much damage. You just take a d6. All right. Good lord. Max damage. I, I you know, falling in any way, shape, or form, it seems to be Lance Monroe's <laughs> Achilles heel. <laughs> Yeah, so that does affect you in the way of, of a major wound in this place that you go. So you, you do fall again, and once again, you hear, you know, some sound that you're not supposed to hear as your uh, left ankle sort of twists underneath you when you try to land on it, and you just collide to your side and get the wind knocked out of you. Uh, when you get your senses back, you realize you can't quite stand on that ankle. I mean, you can still traverse forward, but you can't quite, you know, put your weight on it. 
Okay. Um, you know, it may be starting to dawn on me that this is a dream. And do you think I may have read anything about lucid dreaming where you can control the dream? Uh, you may have, but your ability to do that would be dependent on a successful Cthulhu Mythos spell. Okay. I could give it a shot though, right? Yeah. That's about as far away as you can get. <laughs> so yeah, nothing uh, has touched on this dream state that you're in or spoken in any way about it, but you are at the bottom of that pitch, so you can right. move forward, however slowly. All right. Yeah, I'll hobble my way forward. Okay. So the passage opens into a wide grotto where none of this phosphorescent lichen grows. Crystal deposits on the walls do glitter with some inner light. However, the ceiling's apex is somewhere out of sight. You've lost track of it. You can't see it in any of the light. And spreading across the far wall is a bizarre twisted structure fashioned from interlaced bronze pipes and studded with crystals of various sizes and colors. Uh, The pipes pierce the walls in numerous places, while the other ends ultimately end in spikes. Uh, There's a rock formation 20 feet in front of it, carved into a sort of a chair, you think? Although its curving seat and back don't really look like they'd be comfortable for humans. Okay. Um, And you can can see on top of those spikes, there's something on them, though you're not sure what it is. I'll kind of move slowly around the outside of the the wall, kind of keep taking a look at the crystals, see what I can understand about them, and... When I get to a, a good point, then I'll start making my way towards the chair. Okay. So as I have described earlier, you heard this sort of moaning sort of sound happen every now and then. And uh, when you approach the this chair, it sort of picks up in this uh, sort of like this chorus of moaning. And you can make out that what's on top of these spikes is the heads of the those hominids that had beaten you to death earlier. There's one on each of these spikes. And this there's some sort of air coming out of this pipe system that passes up through the spikes and out the mouths of these moaning heads. May I have a sanity roll, please? So in other words, it's like a pipe organ. Right. Okay. So you only lose one point from that. My my job as sanity tank is paying <laughs> off. Uh, now, besides that, you're not really sure what to make of that, although you do see that the passage does carry on from there. Okay. And or, as I uh, head towards that throne, that, that's um, when they kind of—that's when they kind of pick up. It's almost like they're—it was the context of you moving towards that throne that made them rise in this chorus. Okay, I'll take a step back, and then do they quiet down? Yeah, yeah. And that whispering song that issues forth—it almost has a kind of macabre beauty to it, strangely attractive. Hmm. Well, I'll be drawn e- even closer then. Uh, yeah, so but I, I I'm gonna try and cover my ears a little bit so it's not quite as jarring. Okay. Yeah, I mean you hear the chorus pick up, uh not quite reaching a crescendo as you stand right before this stone chair, but it's sort of held there in a in a harmonious state. Okay. Um so is the chair of a size where I could actually sit on it, or is it like giant or Yes. Or, it, it just giant. doesn't look it no it's not giant it just doesn't look like it's um made for a human. fashion for a human yeah yeah um are there any kind of markings or anything on it no okay i'm going to try sitting in it and see what the the heads do okay 
So yeah, you uh, you sit on it, and the singing grows much louder and and more complex. Now you know the uh, the harmonies are like more voices are joining into it from these severed heads, and it's a very alien uh, experience. But as you sit there, your vision sort of fills with. Well, it's very difficult to describe. It's basically it looks like you're looking at a bunch of text that's just hovering before you in these strange and arcane symbols. Not Aklo, as you've come to recognize. And it's difficult to determine what this text is trying to communicate to you because you can't read it. Although you do recognize that whatever this text is, it is using the Arabic numbering system. So you do occasionally, you know, pick out a number that you recognize. You give me a education role or a chemistry role if you have it. Education? Yeah. Okay, so you, uh, so it has these different groups of, you know, strange symbols, but there are some diagrams that are floating underneath of them, and it almost kind of looks like charts, but you realize that what you're looking at is uh, molecule diagrams, but, you know, it's been a long time since you took anything in chemistry, so you have no understanding of which molecules they represent, and uh, though you do get a sense that whatever's being tracked here seems to be measured in, it's measuring these quantities or these molecules in their quantity across time. Okay. Well, I guess, uh, and I don't wake up while, while sitting there listening to this and having these visions. Well, it is potentially worth uh, one more point of sanity loss, so give me another sanity roll. But no, you don't. Uh, it's just fascinating. You're not, you know, the, it's very difficult for you to grasp on an analog of what uh, this is like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems like when you lift your hands because they're floating in front of you, when you touch these symbols, they do seem to react to you in some way, like they're floating in this sort of green, wispy lettering. When your hand touches one of them, they turn a red, but they turn red, but they don't like change or anything like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll keep kind of messing with it and trying to remember what the these chemicals look like so that I might be able to look look them up when I wake up. Right. Uh, you see, when your hand touches at these charts where it's sort of measuring it, like it'll, your hand, your hand, your finger will put point onto a place on the line, and it'll move like a dot back to that point, and it'll have the number, uh, we'll just say fourteen six five one, and then when you move it in one direction, that number seems to count up. If you move it back, it counts down. Okay. And uh, whatever they're measuring, these molecules, they seem to be increasing as the number increases. Okay. And so, yeah, I'll try and, and get a good image of the molecule in my mind so that I can look it up uh, when I wake up. And once I feel I've, I've got a good grasp of everything and I, I don't seem to be gaining any more insight, then I'll, I'll stand up out of the chair. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, for that, we'll, we'll pause with you. And uh, actually, in both, your, in both your case and Mr. Whitmire's case, you know, you start walking across this field, John, and, you know, it's very scenic and peaceful, and you start to pick out, you know, these strange creatures in that village up ahead, and people that appear to be human, and just as you approach one, you know, one of these human-appearing people lifts a hand to you in greeting, but then that's when you're pulled out of the dream by waking up in your bed, and the same with you, Mr. Monroe, you're messing with these numbers, and then you uh, wake in Dr. Andrew's room. So, 
Yeah, Dr. Andrews, you're sitting there and you see Mr. Monroe, you know, wake up, prop himself up on his elbows. Uh, what time is it now? So we'll say he naturally woke up around, you know, just after sunrise. So you're looking at just before seven o'clock. Um, good morning. How do you feel? I feel like my ribs are broken. Yes. A little bit better mentally after getting some rest. Thank you. Thank you very mm-hmm. much for watching over me. Of course. Are there any, now, any incidents? Uh, no. Nope. Quiet night. That's good to hear. But no doubt the town will be a flutter over the events last night. So um, perhaps we should go get some sustenance because you need to eat and uh, try and find out what people are saying about what happened last night. If a policeman died, then surely that's made the news. If you wouldn't mind uh, accompanying me back to my home so I can get some some uh, decent clothing on before we go grab breakfast, I would greatly appreciate your, your company. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so what's the plan then for today is to begin with your standing meet at O'Lafferty's for breakfast? Are you going to take part in that as well, Whitmire? Yeah. So is there anything you wanted to do, John, before you head towards the restaurant? How long do I have? Like an hour or two. Okay. Well, I was thinking about checking on the mask. That was that, that dream last night, plus the guys that uh, that were here in town. I just want to make sure that it's still there. Uh, if I remember right, did you leave it back in New York in a safe place, or did you bring it with you? I can't remember. No, I I had left it in New York, because that's why that's, I don't know if I have enough time to go do that, though. Uh, you would be gone for a little while. I'm not sure what the journey from Massachusetts to New York is. I know it's they're pretty crammed together up there, but you would be gone for the entire day, I'm sure. Yeah, as I, I just don't think that I have time to go out there. I'll uh, I'll go check out telegraphs though, or oh, sorry, yeah, if there's been any anything left for me um, in this in the lobby or in uh, uh, Monroe's shop. Okay, yeah, you do have one. Well, you don't have one at the lobby, but if you're heading to Monroe's, you can. We can say by luck you arrive when Doctor Andrews and Mister Monroe arrive there to check for their own messages and get uh, changed up. Be still in my jammies. Right, and there are quite a few telegrams there actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something so for happened. you, Mister Whitmire, you have uh, you have a message from Drew. He's just. Wondering how everything went. You know, he never got the call to move in or anything like that. And he uh, thanks you again for the tip on the tobacco shop. Okay. I was just checking uh, in with you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I guess if there's still a little bit of time before breakfast, I'll send a runner or a telegraph over to him, the nearest place, uh, that says that the, the doc, we got the doctor out, um, somehow. Was, the lawyer? Or the lawyer, sorry, yeah. Was we got the lawyer out somehow. Because if I remember correctly, I wasn't involved in that, right? No, you were with uh, Monroe Bash yeah. in the Corbett Journals. But, okay. uh, yeah, and then let him know that I'll, I'll have, uh, I'll still have his payment. Okay. Uh, also, there's a telegram from Dr. Call. Uh, this was an in response to your inquiry about Wallace Bowers' the day in which he was committed to Danvers, and he has that information back for you. The telegram says he was committed on October 29th, 1920. October 29th, 
day was the Dooley murder? It's thought to have occurred between sometime the night October 31st or early morning November 1st. Oh, that makes it impossible for him to have done that. Well, not impossible. I mean, these are on documents, as Whitmire could attest to you. Documentation does have a way of disappearing. Just ask the Boston Police Department. Also, uh, Dr. Andrews, there's a telegram that was sent to you by Betty Williams. This was in response to you asking for any information she had on the Porcellian members, you know, friends of, of her boyfriend, Murrow Beckett. And she's like, yeah, I can tell you what I know. Would you like to meet somewhere? Oh, right. But I think we've buttoned that up, haven't we? Like, we've got the the names we need to put forward as the true. Well, you have, you have Wallace Bowers would be acceptable to the consortium. Monroe knows this. I'm not sure if you guys have had the opportunity to speak altogether on the matter. I think you did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we did. uh, You know, it's just a matter of getting the court to turn its attention towards Wallace Bowers Mm -hmm. rather than the kid. Right. Rather than Charlie um, Murphy. Okay. Well, yeah. So then I'll, um, I guess I'll send a telegram back, you know, saying that I would like to meet her. Okay. So we so, can have that discussion. What else do we have for the day? You know, I wanted to check on Mr. Clark in the hospital. Okay. So yeah, we can assume we've got on to a Lafferty's and, and you guys are planning out your day. So let's get that all ordered out. Uh, who's going where and doing what. We can start with you, Dr. Andrews. Yeah, so I need to go to the hospital to check on Mr. Clark and see how he fares. And then Betty has responded to me, so I I will need to meet with her soon to get information she has on the other members of the Porcellian Club if we're going to push any (laughs) names forward to take Charlie's place. Okay, and... Mr. Monroe, what would you like to do? I also will remind you that you had asked Lance to gather a list of items that the the strange lisping man would order every now and then. Yeah, yeah, I'll uh, want to stop back by his shop. You mean Lamar's shop? Yeah. Yeah, there we go, Lamar. Sorry. Yep. And uh, so is that first on your agenda? Yeah, that'll be first. I suppose I'd also like to go check on on the lawyer to see. You know, if, if things are still okay. Okay. And what about you, Whitmire? So this is still before breakfast, right? Uh, no, well, we can forward to breakfast where you guys usually plot out your day unless there was a thing you needed to do. Okay. I was, uh, yeah, I mean, other than just replying to telegraphs and uh, I'm going to check in on those kids that were watching the, uh, the what was it, the Great Nights, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to check in on them, make sure that they're, they're doing okay. Okay. So you guys know what you're doing next. You know, with this Wallace Bowers issue, you have one problem and that he has a pretty rock solid alibi, at least if papers do show that he was committed before the murder of Dooley actually occurred Yeah. to solve. Did you want to have a discussion about that? Yeah, that's probably something we should talk about. So you're saying you want me to break into a mental institution <laughs> and swap out some documents? Is that what I'm here for? I suppose that works. That's what um, I'm hearing. So if that if that doesn't work, we could uh, make an attempt to contact the consortium to see if they can use some of their leverage to change 
change the paperwork so that maybe he was committed the day after. Well, um, do you have ends with anybody at the hospital who might be able to share that information? Or do you, Dr. Andrews? Uh, I don't think we've established a comp- uh, contact at Danvers yet, so we could potentially do that with a successful psychoanalysis role. Uh, you could do it with an extreme medicine role, Dr. Andrews, or psychoanalysis, whichever is better. Um, and this yeah, this is to determine what? If you have a contact at Danvers State Hospital. Oh. All right, we'll give it a shot. Let's see. Uh, no, I don't have a contact there. Did you guys want to try your psychoanalysis? What does it begin at, one? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. Okay. Although... I could just use some luck. Well, that would have been nice to have that critical. You you only get the one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> but just a couple minutes at our end point here. Let's just do one more scene. Uh, we had a couple of people who wanted to check on the lawyer. So we'll just mm-hmm. run that first. Was that Dr. Andrews and Mr. Monroe? Yeah. 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 So you head down to uh, the Boston General Hospital where you had dropped him off or where Finn had dropped him off and... You wait a moment before they let you into the room to see him, where you can see that they have amputated his arm, or most of his arm, as there was really no way that they could save the portion that was, you know, totally ripped Mm -hmm. of flesh and muscle. And he's kind of looking out the window of his room with a forlorn look, but he brightens a little bit when he sees you guys enter, and he does seem to be in a reasonable state, although you can tell he's pretty doped up. And it has this goofy smile, and he's like, oh, Dr. Andrews, Mr. Monroe, how are you? Are you there, Whitmire? I guess yeah, I not. Think, I don't think he came with us. Okay, yeah. No, so. I wasn't there. I was checking on the kids, as I wanted to make sure that they got, they actually made it home, and that uh, they didn't get caught watching that house. Right. Okay. So, uh, he greets you, asks you how you're doing, with this sort of slightly goofy look on his face. Doing fine. I'm glad to see that you pulled through. I'm very sorry about the loss of your arm. You must understand, there was nothing I could do. No, that's uh, okay. It's the strangest thing, though. I I keep forgetting it's not there anymore. I'll go to scratch my leg or something, and nothing happens. But thanks for getting me out of there, Doc. Yes. Do you remember what happened? Unfortunately, yes, I do. I, you know, got picked up by these two guys when I was having lunch with Dr. Call and they were holding me on this boat for a while. They wanted me to take a deal that they were going to have the prosecution make. Uh, They wanted me to have Charlie Murphy accept a plea bargain. He would plead guilty to second degree murder and the state would recommend confinement for life in a sanitarium due to Charlie's reduced mental faculties. You know, they... And in return, they offered Antonello and Clark all legal... Uh, like all legal dealings would fall under our firm for the Standard Oil Company of New Jersey with the condition that we take that and nothing else. I didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Does that make any sense to you guys? Standard Oil? Yeah, Standard Oil Company of New Jersey. Who is it that owns that? Do we, do we know? Um, was that William Murrow that owns that? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, had, I don't really know much about it. I could have some of our our legal aides look into it, but uh, I have to say it's, you know, it's kind of your guys' call here, but that's not a bad deal for Charlie Murphy. I mean, 
I understand if he's innocent, it's a bad deal, but you have to understand how these things work sometimes in, in Boston. He spends his life in a sanitarium where people can, you know, care for someone like him. Not going to go to the electric chair. Mm. And I'm not just saying that because I would get a, a lot of work for my, you know, my firm. It's concerning, though, because we found the actual person who was responsible for Mr. Dooley's death. Oh, did you? And who's that? Um, there's a young man in a san- in Danvers Sanitarium that apparently was uh, a part of the murder. That, in uh, fact, we he has admitted to it. Well, we definitely won't have to take any plea bargain if you can get some sort of proof of this. You know, either his own confession. I know we set up that private investigator firm. If you're able to track some- something down or get his confession, I can submit it to the judge and they'll likely have this case dismissed. I think we should be able to do that with uh, with our contact. Uh, you know, the good Dr. Call, he has some, some contacts up at Danvers that might be able to help us with that. I have to make one correction. Dr. Call's contacts were at Roxbury Sanitarium, not at Danvers. Yeah, he's just at Danvers when he was sending oh. us all those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's what I would need. Hmm. If we took the plea bargain, you know, once it's there, there's going to be a lot of you know, reason not to look at new evidence if it comes to light. So if that's something you guys want to do, you would have to move on it fast. As you know, this trial date's coming up pretty soon, beginning of next month. And uh, right now I give Charlie Murphy a 50-50 shot, even if I throw everything I can at him. Well, could you give us one week? And and if we can't come up with something by then, then perhaps we should begin taking a look at the plea deal. I am... Somewhat concerned at this negotiation strategy. Uh, they didn't hurt me. It wasn't them. It wasn't until later. You know, some people showed up. I, I don't know. I heard a couple of them talking in French, and there was one really big guy, and uh, they came in with guns out, and there was just a short exchange between the two men that had taken me, and then bullets started flying everywhere. You know, I, they had me tied up in a chair and I rocked it and, you know, threw myself to the side onto the ground. And when the gunfire stopped, you know, it was all quiet, except I heard this, man, I will never forget it. This awful, lurping, tearing, rending sound. I don't, I didn't know what I was hearing at first until I poked my head up and looked at one of the, one of the men was eating the corpse of one of these two men that had taken me and that big Italian he came up to me. I thought, you know, he was going to punch me or something. I I don't even know how to order my thoughts around it. I, I didn't feel any pain at first when he bit into my arm, the flesh of my forearm. It's the darndest thing. It's like he, like it was so unreal it couldn't be happening. None of my nerves even picked up on it. But it did hit eventually. And he didn't care. He just sort of looked at me with this hungry look and he just kept eating the flesh and then I passed out. I woke up sometime later. Uh, I'd been freed from that chair, and I stumbled out and collapsed again. So uh, I'm a little worried about my safety. <laughs> and he kind of starts giggling at the end of that. <laughs> you can guess it's an effect of the, the opiates. Well, you're in a safe place here, I'm willing to bet. I thought I was in a safe place at, at that restaurant with Dr. Cole. Very true. Yeah, do you have a place 
that you hole up for a while? A place you can hide? Well, they seem to know particulars about me. Um, I'm kind of worried they know where my home address is. I was thinking maybe the order, if I asked John Scott, you know, maybe I could stay there. I know he says the the apartments aren't complete. They're still getting those in place for members to stay at, but maybe he'll make an exception. Do you think that would be a good idea? Certainly better than going back to your house and being alone. Although perhaps not using the order of John Scott would be a good idea since it is a fairly high-profile place and they may be able to get some answers out of people that are there. Uh, Do you have anyone that, an old friend perhaps, that that they don't know about that you might be able to contact? No, I uh, transplanted from back out west, so, you know, I left my social circle behind. That's why I I joined the order to begin with, to make new connections here. I I took the job because I met Christian when he was vacationing out there, and, you know, he was impressed with the work I had done in California, so that's why I came here. Yeah, I'm afraid I just don't know how to hide from thugs. Not something I expected. Well, you're going to still be in the hospital for a few more days before they release you, right? Um, I would expect a while longer than that. Uh, yeah. Perhaps we can speak to uh, Mr. McCracken or or um, perhaps even Mr. Whitmire has some places that he knows of that would be good for someone to disappear to. Mr. Whitmire does have a habit of disappearing. That's so, Mr. Whitmire? He's not there, though. So. See? Seems He's like I'm doing already. pretty good. <laughs> oh, for a second, I thought he was there. Forgive me, I... I don't know what they've given me, but it feels wonderful. Don't suppose you want to share. <laughs> oh, well, Dr. Andrews is like, well, I have enough for everybody. <laughs> everybody <laughs> hold out your arms. <laughs> I'll write you a prescription. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I I am getting a little tired here, and I feel if I keep speaking, I'm you know going to say something really silly. So, you know, perhaps I should rest. What do you mean by really silly? Uh... I just mean my brain's not it's doing cartwheels. What, what do you mean by really silly? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've described a very traumatic experience, and I wasn't sure if there was something that you thought you saw or that you were unsure of after you had been grabbed and during your ordeal that you believe is silly that might help us uh, either find uh, clues into why they took you or who they might be uh, working for? Well, they didn't mention. They just said that, you know, they were there on behalf of the prosecution, you know, working this case in particular. And they they said that this was the plea bargain that the prosecution was going to put before me in the next couple of days. And then I was advised to take it. And in fact, I wouldn't be leaving their care until I had given, you know, I had made a commitment to that, and I assured them that I am not the one who makes that commitment. It would have to be on Charlie Murphy's, you know, his call, whether he takes a plea one way or the other. But they didn't seem to accept that, so they just kept pressing. I I have to say, I thought it was going to be a lot worse, you know, until the Italian got there. But they would just leave me alone for a little while and come ask me some more questions and, and that sort of thing. So, But what I mean by silly is when that guy was eating my flesh you know he he, uh he did that thing where 
you you know you put the tips of your fingers to your mouth and you you kind of moi magnifique he said at one point and i don't know why but that just cracks me up today and this uh this chuckle that emerges from has a real ragged edge to it and it's quite the ordeal it makes me shiver to my bones to think that someone like that is out there well i should hope that he got arrested have you guys checked the papers certainly all that gunfire drew police attention yeah we um we meant to while we were eating breakfast but none of us remembered to tell the keeper that we were going to look at the newspapers (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you get you know when he mentions that you're thinking to uh you had a an edition of the boston globe that you picked up before you walked into a lafferty's and there were uh competing news stories but what did take the front page was the shootout at Keys Wharf, where it says a total of four men were dead, one man arrested, uh, and that there were some strange, that the reporter couldn't get the cops to o- open up about it, but there was something else that was odd about the whole attack, you know, and, and he had heard some of the police officer whispering about a cannibal. They're not sure. They couldn't obtain the identity of the man that was arrested in the amount of time they had. And the... Uh, the Second story that's competing for front page attention is a supposed strange animal attack on a tram that left one man uh, dead, and uh, that's it. It actually doesn't mention anything about a police officer. Although, Monroe, you're thinking he wasn't too far from that portal when it sucked everything in, and if it sucked in a truck, you know, perhaps it sucked in a body. And so now they'll just be having a missing police officer. So, yeah. Uh, he says, I, you know, really, um, my mind's all over the place, so I uh, I think I'll go to sleep now. Oh, one other thing, if you have any legal concerns uh, while I'm having my stay here, you can you can go to our law firm and, and ask for help, you know, they'll look into things, they'll know that uh, your, your private investigator organization is working on our behalf, and they can kind of aid you in, in whatever matters you might have, just... Uh, uh, talk to one of our associates there. His name's uh, Howard Jenkins. Jenkins. Okay. <laughs> he's a little nutty, but he's a good <laughs> he's a good lawyer. <laughs> oh, did you meet him? Uh, and perhaps in another life. <laughs> All right. So we're a little past our time here, so we'll, we'll go ahead and call it uh, there for today. And uh, thanks for playing, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And we will catch you next time. So we go ahead and get some new luck rolls out there. And if you had any skill successes, we'll go ahead and do those too. Where was that? This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 